Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, folks. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Here we want to look at our health. We want to look at how to be proactive in our health and so we can strive toward optimal wellness. It's very important we take the right things in, have good uh, lifestyle habits such as exercise, good sleep, minimizing stress, and avoid toxins. And also, Recently, uh, an issue that's confronting all of us is COVID. What do we do about COVID? How do we stay safe in COVID? I've always been saying that we build up our immunity and do everything we can to be in optimal health, and that's our best defense. However, um, there are a lot of opinions on this, and some are very controversial, and some are censored. So today, we have an expert. We've got Dr. Ty Brown, and he's got a very interesting background. He is a U.S. National Counterterrorism and Emergency Management, uh, SME. He advises and trains educational institutions, healthcare facilities, corporations, including Fortune 100 and 500 companies, at the both state and federal government levels. Also, organizations in violence prevention strategy and crisis response. Uh, he's worked in threat management, active attacker attacker prevention and response, counterterrorism, and crisis leadership in 2019. He's provided testimony in mass violence to the Texas Senate and is a regular speaker at global conferences. During the COVID crisis, he found himself in the epicenter, New York City, and shifted his focus toward mitigation and preventive strategies against the virus. Uh, A non-human mass casualty attacker uh, is creating immense amount of human suffering and he's currently investigating the biosynthetic as- aspects of the cars, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Is a possibility? Is it a military-grade biological weapon? Is it? Could it be? And he's mapping its pathophysiology. Well, some people have been saying this, so let's find out more about this. That's, um, okay, so Dr. Brahm, tell us um, how you got interested in the COVID virus. And what was your path in getting involved in counterterrorism and emergency management? So my path uh, was a fairly convoluted one in that I grew up in South Africa, and I grew up in a very volatile time in the 80s. Um, uh, many of the uh, violent episodes and incidents that we're now facing uh, globally uh, were occurring in South Africa. There were bombings um, that were um, politically charged um, uh, but they start moved towards, uh, instead of critical infrastructure, there was more and more attacks on soft targets um, like restaurants. And so very similar sort of uh, climate of fear. Um, and then also just sort of the turmoil. And one of the similarities for me um, uh, growing up in South Africa that I feel is has been useful to me now facing this pandemic um, uh, as an adult versus um, being uh, you know, younger um, uh, in, in South Africa uh, is, is the idea of what theater is used, um, uh, you know, narrative theater, media, um, you know, controlling stories, controlling information, censorship, 
you know, South Africa is apartheid, where it's held together. The glue, the glue of apartheid, uh, is the same glue that they're now using globally. Um, and I think that's very interesting because I think if somebody really wants to understand, you know, sort of why people um, are not. Um, challenging the narrative and why some people are and, and also um, sort of just un- unpacking um, the various layers that make it difficult to know the truth. I think we, historically it's, um, it's important to look back in time and see where the same methods were used. Academically, I followed a path of always being interested in, in medicine and science and um, volunteered instead of uh, uh, I was not never really that interested in sports, so um, you know my, our, my recreational hours were often spent at clinics and hospitals, and, and always had a passion for uh, healthcare, um, and became a clinical psychologist that specialized um, uh, originally in integrative approach, uh, built a wellness center with a, a partner in um, in Miami that was. Uh, really a, ahead of its time into a fully integrated model that really uh, merged many philosophies of health uh, but with obviously a very nice um, inclination towards wellness, uh, this idea that everyone's different, there's no template, and um, ultimately to solve a problem that somebody's having um, in their body or if they're striving for peak performance, that no model, no, no one model is going to have it all and not one practitioner is going to have all the answers. And so building nice teams around problem solving is something that I, um, I was able to see how that could work really well in a, in a wellness uh, clinic environment. Um, and then uh, over time, um, post 9-11, um, I became more and more interested in leading the charge in terms of social changes uh, trainings um, and and science are uh, being thrown at, at the problem of uh, mass killings. Um, it's very hard for me to ignore um, what was taking place and still taking place um, in, around the world, but especially here in the states, uh, with a uh, you know really a, a true epidemic of, of mass killing um, in various forms. Obviously, the tendency is often to go and, and, and look at these incidents and, um, and look at the weapon of choice, uh, um, which is predominantly in the States, um, a, a gun, um, and uh, you know, sort of get lost in the conversation around the weapon rather than, you know, why are we such a violent society? Uh, what is happening with the, um, especially young males uh, that tend uh, to really have a almost a syndrome uh, that drives this profile of wanting to go out and and, and ultimately the motive is body count. Um, and so we became very interested in understanding sort of a biopsychosocial model uh, of that and spent the last few years teaching that. And that brought me to the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which uh, people in law enforcement and um, uh, counterterrorism and public health and emergency management um, immediately turned to me as soon as there was sort of suspicion and, and talk about whether this was a bioweapon. People said, you know, Doc, you know, what are your thoughts on this and what do you know so far? And, and that really put me into uh, a problem-solving uh, mode for um, some pretty high-level clients um, and, and big school systems uh, to try and figure out what's going on and how we're going to you know, start working towards mitigation uh, strategies and then ultimately also response strategies. And so it's a, a, a fairly long answer, but a, a, short, a short version of, of uh, life that's been dedicated towards reducing suffering in various forms. And so the pandemic is... Um, is another is another opportunity for me to um, try and do the best work that I can. 
So what did you find behind the mass shootings uh, and the violence? What, what, what did you learn about that? Oh, I think in short, I learned that um, we still very much treat mass killing um, with the same thought um, philosophy as, as they did maybe in the middle, age, middle uh, medieval and middle ages. Um, there's very little science thrown at it. Um, there's some really incredible work by uh, neuroscientists, neurosurgeons, uh, pathologists, um, uh, you know, it, um, scientists that have studied everything from, uh, let's say, a a decreased corpus callosum that uh, is the bridge between the left and right hemispheres um, is decreased in psychopaths. Uh, and um, and so when we talk about, you know, uh, psychopaths, I think people um, don't really think about the biology uh, that would be behind um, very extreme behavior. Um, and so there's an example of things that get left out of the conversation, both in a tangible way, you know, what is the What's the physics? What are the mechanisms? What's the biology that drives this uh, in, 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 in relation to this person being in a dynamic system and they're a dynamic system themselves? And what's the genetic factor and what's the epigenetic? So in short, I would say that the science uh, has been missing from the conversation. Um, what I found is a pretty uncomfortable topic for people, which is that there is a, um, a syndrome. Um, I could use the word profile, but I think profile as a, a, con- a negative conversation uh, of, sort of a rapid assessment versus seeing a bunch of things happening at the same time and realizing that if nothing changes, then you can, it's what's becoming easier to, to predict this outcome. Um, my ultimate finding um, on, on mass killings uh, as it relates to certain uh, people being um, predisposed and then uh, eventually committing these acts um, is really a form of, um, uh, it closely matches any of the spectrum disorders. It becomes very, very challenging to, to, to say that because um, immediately you have to make sure that the receiver of that information also knows that the majority of somebody that would be a quote-unquote on a spectrum disorder or any, um, uh, you know, whether it's autism or Asperger's or anything in between, um, that the majority of those people would not have uh, any increased level of risk of violence. However, there's a subset within uh, um, that category where the, um, the obsession and the compulsion and the lack of empathy, the lack of being able to read social cues, uh, lifetime's worth of struggle, um, and then ultimately uh, a highly functioning person uh, that really is um, quite disappointed with the way that things are turning out uh, based on what perceivably they could um, achieve and the mismatch between what they're able to do and what they are sort of living through is hell. And combine that with, uh, with uh, really a lack of understanding of um, of uh, yeah, empathy and, and, and you know, the, the consequences of one's actions, a very fantasy-like thinking, leads to a way of thinking that becomes pretty solidified in that uh, the person is driven by this goal that they could go out and they can do a mass killing and the more bodies that they, uh, the more body count they get and the more death toll, um, there's a higher likelihood that they've left the planet with some form of legacy. And that pattern has just been persistent uh, of course, there's some there's some outliers here and there, but that pattern is pretty consistent um, around um, you know, sort of a um, uh, culmination of this person's life events. 
that get them to this very focused, very planned, uh, methodical act. And if they do um, land up not either not suiciding on scene um, or being um, killed on scene, um, you know, one of the first questions that they ask is, you know, what was my death toll? How many people did I get? And I think that's uh, that that sort of um, gets lost in in, in the in, in sort of the bigger picture and the discussion and a lot of the media hype around it um, takes it away from you know almost very. Um, low-level um, um, acts of human behavior that are, that are um, in some way, um, the thinking is, um, is almost um, trivial. Um, and if we weren't talking about the fact that they were killing people, um, uh, you know, it would be seen as a very pathetic, uh, very, sort of, you know, to use an unsophisticated word, sort of a loser's way of exiting the planet. But I think uh, the way that we discuss this, these perpetrators often seem much more capable than they really are. And I think that they land up getting exactly what they are desiring, which is, you know, some form of recognition and legacy. Um, most so people it sounds like print- you're discussing uh, psychopathic, sociopathic personality with frustration at how things aren't working out and some kind of delusion in what he might be contributing to the world. Very much. It's a nice summary. And, um, and, and then the part to it that I think is... Um, uh, quite important of why it feels like, um, you know, very much um, like one of the spectrum disorders is sort of this disconnect um, uh, you know, in terms of the, my actions are going to be perceived in this way or if I do this and this is the outcome. Um, there is um, there's a, a very there's a challenge um, that is addressed um, throughout a lifetime in most of these killers. Uh, the best attempts are made. Uh, in in um, in psychologist's office and psychiatric uh, um, you know with psychiatrists, um, but I think that they fail ultimately because there's some pretty strong biology that's at play, um, including the fact that um, one of the things that I found um, that I was working on before the pandemic and that I'd like to come back to is that um, in yeah, when you have a some form of very extreme um, violence um, without much build-up or planning, you can often find that brain trauma, um, the stuff that people now know as CTE um, and head traumas that lead to um, you know somebody becoming extremely violent. Um, those often don't have uh, a big death toll attached to them, um, but the driver there is, is uh, neuropathology. And when they do have a lot of numbers attached to them, uh, about the most interesting found finding that replicated one of the first attacks that we ever had here in the States uh, at the Texas Tower uh, with the attacker Charles Whitman um, was basically the Vegas attacker. I mean, his brain was just filled with these brain stones that I'd never heard of. Uh, corpora amylacea are calcifications that are generally associated with um, prostate cancer, and um, people know of other stones, uh, uh, kidney stones, bladder stones, gold stones. Um, we know about stones in the body. Um, I had truly uh, never given thought to the expression that someone has rocks in their head um, and actually found that that you know, was uh, present in these um, massive numbers with a very, very high frequency in the limbic system of the Vegas attacker. And just before the pandemic, that was the bulk of the work that I was starting to do in um, trying to see you know, what, what information I can get on 
uh, either on events that had just taken place, but also historic events. And there just wasn't that much there, but I'm hoping to be able to get back to that work because I think a lot of our solutions uh, sort of going forward in all the acts of violence, including this massive genocide that we're going through right now globally, we really do need um, to give a lot more uh, we need uh, energy and time and science to the science of violent behavior. Well, that's interesting. So you're talking about like the autism spectrum because there's a lot of people on the spectrum that do not necessarily do violence, but I have seen some autistic folks that get explosive pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, a sociopath isn't very concerned about other people working as well. But anyway, that's very interesting. And I'm just wondering what societal uh, issues contribute to this. But also I wanted well, to get... I'll, I'll, I'll use it as a, 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 a... I think there's a nice bridge here for us, which is to say, um, you know, my studies that uh, have left me sort of uh, very much almost like a clinician does with a clinical impression, where if a school calls me and they have a person of concern... Um, you know, the, the questions and, um, and just trying to find out about, you know, why is this person come up on someone's radar and um, were these, you know, because somebody made a threat, were they blowing up steam or was it their, you know, really odd, uh, scary behavior that had been present for a long time? What was the, you know, sort of what, what was the final act that led anybody to make calls to say, you know, we really ought to be doing something about this person. We think they're going to come back and kill everybody. And that, that happens in workplaces, that happens in schools. Um, I think that there's a challenge where there's almost a discomfort. Nobody wants to label, uh, you know, no one wants to get into sort of minority report-like thinking, and especially me, uh, uh, the Constitution and freedom and democracy and uh, ability to um, be uncensored, uh, uncensored and the ability to have Stephen King-type uh, novels where, you know, uh, you know I, 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 I enjoy it all and I leave room for uh, people to be in, in, enjoy whatever fantasies want to run, uh, run through their head. Um, I think the discomfort comes from when people realize, hey, we're not talking about a fantasy here. This person's actually moved forward into planning. This is becoming an intentional act. And that in a world where everybody could just do whatever they wanted and that we didn't have any sort of reaction to its consequences, even these sort of this behavior of, oh, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to kill all these people in a parade. You know, society has determined that these are not acceptable. The bridge here, though, is quite fascinating because the more functioning somebody becomes in that ability uh, to navigate a world where they have some obscure desire of death, and I call it fanatic, um, you know, taken from the Greek god Thanatos, and I look at this fanatic profile, uh, this obsessive compulsion, uh, this drive, uh, building elaborate systems uh, to eventually have this act that lets them know that they were here, they lived on this planet, and they, they left the planet different, uh, in a different state from when they arrived, and their difference is body count. And the more functioning they get, uh, the more they're able to do that. I, I don't see, I see Bill Gates uh, in the same category as a successful um, uh, school shooter. Um, I see somebody like Dr. Martin Rothblatt, uh, who's a, a really big driver of this pandemic, and we can get into some of that, into the transhumanism. You know, I think that these people um, are, re they represent a, a very rare apex predator that fortunately, uh, when things go right on our planet, um, we're supposed to have a lot of buffers, 
We're supposed to have mechanisms where these actions are spotted and people talk up and, and sort of someone's desire to say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and a whole bunch of people died? There's supposed to be buffers that say, no, it wouldn't be cool at all. And in fact, no, we're going to make sure that you don't get the ability to do that because that's, that's so not cool that our current worldly ethics have said that you've crossed the line over here. Um, I think we've in a perfect storm for a bunch of reasons, including an existential crisis. Um, and, and most people are you know, struggling, especially the youth, uh, with um, severe forms of nihilism. Um, you know, they really just do not have meaning and purpose. And so it's a perfect storm for an apex predator, uh, predator to exploit the various systems that we've got um, to turn off those mechanisms where people say, you know, those very simple two-letter word, which is the word no. Uh, so how does this, your expertise in terrorism and violence, why did they come to you asking about COVID? Um, I think that, um, so there's the world of, of threat assessments and threat management um, really is n- never weapons focused. Um, um, and part of my training, and I've spent the bulk of um, just under a decade, mostly on the teaching side, is really to change thinking around um, you know, widening, uh, call it widening possibilities. And so when you're in the world of, um, of stopping violence from occurring and you're not focusing on a weapon, um, it becomes important important to have a broad knowledge of how other people, you know, what, what, what have other people used? Uh, for example, sarin was used by a, um, a cult in Japan, uh, a doomsday cult, and uh, they were on an investigation, and as a distraction, uh, when law enforcement was closing in on them, um, they thought they would distract law enforcement by using sarin on the subway and sort of take the heat away from them and, you know, make it seem like there were much more important things to do than investigate the doomsday cult. And so um, knowing about bioweapons, knowing about, you know, previous weapons that have been used in history, knowing about the weapons that our own um, governments around the world um, experiment with, have used, uh, have either held back on or have only used um, in experimentation become extremely important to somebody that is you know, needing to see is this behavior escalating towards death toll? Is this person fixated on an idea? And if they are fixated on that idea, how are they going to achieve it? You know, sort of in so are you term, saying um, that, the, that people uh, think that the COVID virus is a bioweapon? Tell us more about that. Well, COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon. Um, there's no, there's no question. Um, I think the only uh, reason that people don't consider it as a bioweapon, uh, don't consider it with uh, complete factual integrity, uh, is because uh, one, normally these kind of things are announced to the world, and then people expect, you know, some awful truth that this took place and and this is what it was. And even if it's really hard for people to swallow. Um, sort of there's an authoritative figure. In this case, the authorities around the world have done the opposite. They've made sure that at every turn that, that there's been these distractions of talking about a virus and they've talked about Wuhan and um, the various things have led away both uh, in, uh, through media but then also in, 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 in the same way that criminals do it, um, sort of throwing the the, the uh, detectives are throwing the, those with uh, inquiring minds off the trail, um, and those, those have been done um, Distraction uh, purposefully, from what? and they're, be, they're being caught. Distraction from what? 
a distraction from uh, the use of a biological um, weapon uh, used uh, to create a pandemic that has numerous um, endpoints and goals for numerous parties, um, but uh, you know, with, major, with with mutual with mutual um, opportunity to use a manufactured crisis um, to release a, a bioweapon that then um, comes with a solution, um, and so that people accept the solution, and that solution is the attack. Um, the death toll of what we knew as the pandemic um, is absolutely dwarfed in terms of what we can expect the real um, death toll to look at from the use of this biological weapon in, um, in what they will call a vaccine. Um, but ultimately, when people say, well, how would they do this? Well, they're doing it in plain sight in front of you. They've taken a known the highly toxic substance, um, uh, which under any other circumstances um, would be you know, graded as the highest threat currently on the planet, uh, both to uh, human, not only to humans, but to other species. And in terms of our actual existence on this planet, they would look at the spike protein, and if they were um, if they were interested in the truth or they're interested in, in saving lives rather than destroying lives, they would have announced that they're dealing with a, a highly uh, a, a, a novel protein uh, called, you know, that they've given various names to, like the S protein, and they would have said this is a highly toxic substance that was manufactured in a lab, and now the whole world is dealing with it as a new um, pathogen slash allergen, and this is what we can expect. Um, and they would have um, certainly made sure that we grabbed hold uh, of the spike protein and stopped it being around. And in fact, all they did is they manufactured more of it and then um, lined everyone up uh, to um, put it into people's bodies uh, to produce more of it. And so the distraction is from the entire campaign, um, which I think is, um, very challenging for most people uh, to consider um, that that this type of uh, intentional violence, uh, it's, it's hard enough to get somebody to accept that the kid, uh, the, ch- the child that they're seeing in, in a high school somewhere that's come up on people's radars and you know, numerous adults in the room are all saying the same thing. Wow. You know, I don't want to be here on the day that this kid comes back and kills everybody. Um, as hard as it is for people to snap out of that form of denial, you know, to get uh, to get adults uh, to sit around the table and and to be willing to know that uh, ac- actions from human beings can be so nefarious that anything that we've seen before um, would be um, a starting point, and then and then you know, uh, not only is our universe expanding. Um, but possibilities expanding. So whatever the Nazis could create and do, we should know just based on the history of the world that as soon as technology evolves and as soon as the right circumstances are there, then there would be others that could outdo uh, some of the worst atrocities that have ever been committed. And so that's what so we're, what is your in my data, opinion, that's what we're currently seeing. What is your data or the studies on the vaccine being toxic? Um, there are multiple studies uh, um, uh, now that basically um, show the various levels um, of uh, the spike protein being uh, the reason for the, the pathology of COVID. 
um, whether whether a spike protein, whether the spike protein known as the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein is attached to a virus or is in a, in a vial being injected to the arm, uh, the toxicity and the mechanisms of, uh, that are known in various papers uh, from various scientists over you know, two years of, of research uh, have shown this to be a highly pathogenic um, uh, molecule on its own. And so uh, with various mechanisms of death and destruction, um, there's not just one. My own interest in it came from original papers where um, I kept hearing about the ACE receptors and how uh, the spike protein is binding to the ACE receptor and then replicating. And I sort of thought, okay, well, now I'm understanding where they're telling me that this thing likes to anchor down and I understand how it's anchoring down and then it's making more of itself as an obligate parasite. It needs a host to replicate. Um, but, you know, I think my, my understanding from a tactical perspective that, oh, you know, you can't count on the uh, attacker just coming through the door that says entrance or leaving through the exit just because there was a sign. You know, the idea that, that the opening, you know, various points um, uh, along the openings uh, in a building could be exploited, um, you know, allowed me to, to, to sort of uh, think through this problem and go, okay, so if it's replicating here, um, is it, does it have a high binding affinity anywhere else in the body? And I think you need somewhat of a, a knowledge, a workup uh, towards this of knowing about uh, sort of how nerve agents work, how various toxins and poisons work, you know, something like um, sarin, for example, what that's going to do. Um, there's a whole range of biological weapons that uh, are currently being destroyed around the world that are in a category where the damage is done by how, how it binds and competes with neurotransmitters. And so I think from a weapon standpoint in analyzing SARS-CoV-2, um, once I could, you know, wrap my head around the fact that it was bond- binding to ACE receptors for its replication, then I started saying, okay, well, where, where else, where else does it have a high binding affinity? And it actually has a higher binding affinity to the acetylcholine nicotinic receptors, um, which is a mouthful. But basically, people can recognize a couple of things in there. One, they can recognize the word nicotine. Um, these are the same uh, receptors that. Uh, of, of why nicotine uh, works and why nicotine is addictive and why nicotine um, uh, has chemical consequences on the body, uh, behavioral changes, um, addiction, uh, physio- physiological changes, um, is because nicotine as a substance can bind um, to these receptors. For a non-biologist, um, uh, a, very way, a very easy way in today's world to um, you know, think about receptors and what can bind to them and what can't bind is these companies are always changing their uh, the size and shape of, of of different electronic adapters. So they go from the lightning to the uh, USB C to USB to whatever you know whatever comes up next, and people have to adapt accordingly. And you know they're constantly going, oh, I've got this cord that I need to charge my phone, but does this one fit my phone? Oh, I'm going to try. I'm going to and, uh, you know, oh, it sort of looks like it could go. And then if you're not sure, you give it three or four, you know, attempts. And then you go, oh, no, this is a micro uh, charger. And I'm actually just looking for, a, you know, the, the, the Apple Lightning. And, um, and has anybody got one of those? And, and in a similar way, these molecules, they all shaped um, uh, in, in, in similar um, um, 
shapes, um, but the um, the way that they are configured is very important in terms of how they'll lock in. And so various chemicals can um, uh, exploit um, uh, the, the the various receptors. And generally, we know these things. Like for example, um, we, uh, most people would you know if you ask them about serotonin, if you ask them about dopamine. Um, um, you know, people people are well versed in in the more common uh, neurotransmitters, so they don't often think about one of the most important, which is acetylcholine. And the spike protein uh, has a major impact um, on acetylcholine in the body. Um, and so, uh, my interest in it um, uh, came from me being asked by clients. You know, one is this a bioweapon? And then the follow-up to that is that if I came back and said with certainty, well, this is a bioweapon, then as somebody who's sort of taken the charge uh, of, of in various ways of protecting people, uh, it would make sense that if I'm going to say, well, it's a bioweapon, uh, I've never taken on a victim role, um, and certainly this pandemic wouldn't be an appropriate time for me to shrug my shoulders and go, well, I don't know, and I don't care to work it out. Um, I think it's the biggest project that I've worked on up to up to now, um, and that is to understand how this thing is working and how to defeat it. And uh, to go back way to the beginning to your introduction, uh, you know, a wellness web-based model uh, surprisingly um, uh, becomes, and maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, in that you know um, the complexity of the universe is often solved. Uh, through uh, simplicity. I think that's what we're all striving for. I think that that's a, sort of a very uh, zen-like way of knowing that when we're in harmony, uh, it's because the, um, the, you know, the shortest path to something has been found, the least amounts of parts and pieces. And so the simplicity um, of defeating these kind of biological weapons, whether they were, nat- whether they were natural or um, human-made, um, I think what intrigued me is how simple some of the exploits could be in defeating uh, these type of weapons. Okay. You s- so your conclusion is that the virus, uh, that the, the SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon, and this is also, unfortunately, put in the vaccines that are supposed to be the treatment for it. And the, answer, the simple answer is yes. Okay, so what does this do to our bodies? I mean, the um, Okay, so uh, a, there's a couple of mechanisms. Um, I, the one I'm known for um, and the one that I wrote to the FBI about in June of 2021 is that there are um, homologs of venom. Um, on the spike protein. And I think that um, even the most robust scientists were thrown off by this concept of why would this thing have venom on it? I mean, first of all, you have to um, be willing to accept that this is lab-made. And so if you don't accept that it could be lab-made, it becomes very difficult to know anything about it because anything that challenges you uh, any surprising uh, finding, uh, you would just discount and go, oh, this must be, the data must be wrong, this shouldn't be here. But if you're willing to think that this could be synthetic, then finding um, neurotoxins on it um, should make sense. And then even if you um, look at, at other pathogens, um, you know, whether something is a bacteria um, or a fungi, 
um, you know, that many of our pathogens, the reason that they are problematic to us is because they have, um, they have toxins, and those toxins can be, uh, affect the heart, like cardiotoxins. They can be cytotoxins affecting cells themselves. They can be neurotoxins. In this case, you've got a, um, a really very specific, um, it's called an alpha uh, bungrotoxin, uh, and uh, beyond the neurotoxin, um, it has a deep effect on neurology, but uh, really you could look at it as, as, uh, as, as, uh, as switches. And uh, the simple way, uh, easiest way for me to explain what it does to the human body is um, it sends the body into a death spiral. Um, and so a strange part about this form of killing people um, is that a lot of the time people will choose a weapon uh, based on the satisfaction that it gives them of seeing misery and suffering and death in front of them. And that's why, you know, certain people will choose a weapon like a, like a gun and it becomes more personal and there's a bang and, you know, it, it, it's visual. Um, those perpetrators that don't, that don't need that for whatever reason of their agenda, whether it's profit driven, uh, or, you know, in this case, a major driver of the pandemic is a, is a philosophy called transhumanism, which, um, yeah, really, I think a lot of people have um, have labeled this as some sort of obscure philosophy uh, that doesn't really make sense, and therefore we shouldn't worry about it. It's being driven by multi-millionaires and multi-billionaires, and so we should worry about it, um, because any idea that can be backed up by money, uh, whether it's a business idea or a widget uh, or somebody going, hey, you know what would be cool? Uh, we could end death and destruction and injury on this planet of human beings by getting them all to suicide and become avatars of themselves in a digital world. Wouldn't that be great? No one would be sick anymore and no one would have to die. They could all live in the cloud. Um, and these so people is that are what pronouns. transhumanism is? Yeah, at its core, transhumanism is this idea, I think, that people... Um, there's a, I think often there's a difference that needs to be a distinct line because I'm in favor, for example, of um, I'd be totally fine with neuro, uh, with uh, neuro pacemakers um, if if uh, if you needed a certain area of the brain stimulated so that it would stop seizures, or if you needed a certain area of the brain where. Um, uh, just like a heart, it would create some form of different rhythm, and that person could leave their house instead of, you know, washing their hands repetitively. Um, uh, you know, I'd be all for um, technology being used, uh, and, and, and with, whether it's through, um, you know, the advancements on prosthetics uh, or anything else, I'm all for the idea that we can sync our bodies. I'm currently talking to you and everyone else by holding a piece of technology that's now an extension of myself, and I'm fine with that form of technology. There's a difference, though, and maybe it's only a theoretical difference, but it, it matters, I think, uh, to us that like a tangible world, the world that we've been born into, a world that we may not understand, but a lot of us would say we enjoy our lives and enjoy the privilege of having breath that runs through us. And we, whatever this thing is that we're in, uh, this thing, this place called Earth, it's pretty cool to be given this opportunity. And I think that the difference of transhumanism, the real transhumanism in its form, is that this reality is irrelevant, um, that your consciousness is the most important aspect of you, that your physical body is not uh, important at all, and nor is your surroundings. What is important is that your consciousness uh, gets to interact, uh, and the terrain uh, can be manufactured. So the metaverse, 
that Mark Zuckerberg uh, is manufacturing is an extension uh, of transhumanism. He is creating the platform uh, where uh, the philosophy of transhumanism um, can merge into uh, for, for profit. What's, what, what is really sort of obnoxious uh, about people like Mark Zuckerberg is that while he is doing that, and while, for example, um, especially uh, younger children now and teenagers that are going to be left so severely vaccine injured um, that they will truly not be able to go outside, and they will have to go into metaverse, and you know, they're really forming a, um, uh, you know, a, sort of a, a Stephen Hawking-like um, um, existence. Uh, so this for, transhumanism um, for, sounds for, like an extreme form of control and almost totalitarian state where we're monitored intensely. But you were talking before that, you know, sometimes if you want to, uh, you know, if it harms something, a gun would be quicker, but that the venom is slower be- by, because it slows down the recipient. Can you go into that more? Well, what it, yeah, so, so um, it's very important to recognize what venom is doing, and venom um, has various functions, but the predominant ones that we all know about and that are um, most important for us to understand venom is, is really around um, uh, defense, you know, venom is used uh, by plants and venom is used by um, creatures uh, to keep themselves safe from harm. Um, and so there's that aspect. And then there's the other side of venom, which is um, consumption, uh, digestion. And so venom uh, is a tool that's used uh, very successfully. The, the word gain of function, uh, as people throw it around now, doesn't start off as this lab-driven human concept, gain of function exists uh, in an evolutionary way, and that cells uh, that become specialized uh, um, is a form of gain of function. And venom is a highly functional, a highly formed uh, gain of function where the um, regular cells of, uh, of the being take on um, the very simply, they very, can be very, very short chains. Uh, you know, you go protein, uh, smaller than protein becomes um, peptides and smaller than peptides becomes um, amino acids. And so you have these um, very short chain uh, uh, proteins that ultimately are used in, in the creature's body. In this case, I'll call it the prey, where the predator uses it to instruct the prey uh, to suicide, uh, to kill themselves. Uh, even if they are um, uh, struck, let's say, with fangs um, uh, or another form of mechanical device that the predator is using, the chemical weaponry is an instruction by the predator uh, to, to the prey to use its own energy and resources um, to cause its demise, but slowly, because a quick death, uh, means that the predator is going to have to use more energy for things like um, uh, digestion, including the removal of hair, uh, um, the snapping of long bones, um, the breaking of, um, you know, if you're thinking about a snake that's uh, swallowing um, a, a rodent, um, the, you know, the shape needs to become long and cylindrical. So what I'm hearing that, you mm-hmm. saying is that rather than killing off the prey quickly, it slows it down. And so the, you know, the venom slows down the metabolism so that the prey dies very slowly. So it's available longer. But how does this translate if it's in the vaccine? What, what, what does it do? What is the vac- how does that affect a human when it gets it? 
Well, I, th- I think the data is showing um, uh, exactly what it's doing, which is that it's speeding up illnesses. Um, uh, ca- cancer rates are um, um, at an all-time high, um, and it, it, it speeds up whether somebody was going to land up having uh, a certain tumor, um, if somebody was going to have a, a metabolic issue, if somebody was going to even have uh, some form of uh, ligament or cell tendon damage. Um, when we say that it slows things down, I, I don't necessarily know that it slows it down. What it's doing is it's instructing the body. Uh, to the slowness is, is don't kill yourself fast. But the um, the mechanism is to all um, uh, uh, catabolic. So you can think about the enzymes in the body, and you can think about you know the reverse of of, of uh, building tissue. Um, you know, if this is this is basically an anorexic process rather than you know somebody who's uh, becoming a bodybuilder. All the mechanisms are um, all leading towards the demise, but they're all involved in in ultimately. Um, uh, getting that body to decompose. And so the illnesses that are now prevalent, um, including, you know, just suddenly dying in your sleep, um, you know, the, the reason that somebody would die in their sleep is that um, for whatever reason, the venom, um, you know, venom is stable under certain circumstances and will um, force the body to um, to die slowly unless... Does this affect is, uh, the mass, what they call the mass psychosis that's going on? Um, absolutely, and I'm glad you asked about that because I think that um, something very interesting for me, um, because I have a background where as a clinical psychologist, um, I'm always interested in what chemicals are doing that control thought and what they, how they can be used successfully for also for treatments. You know, um, whether somebody is, um, you know, um, you know, having having whatever issue, um, you know, the, 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 the way chemicals interact and change our thinking and our behavior and the way that we feel about things has always been of interest to me. And in this case, what these what this venom is doing um, is that it is binding to these nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, and part of um, what 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 happens once it binds is that over time, uh, you can think of this as uh, um, you know, um, an instruction. Um, let's say you, you've got one of those little USB flash drives, and on it is an instruction um, that basically, you know, it's going to kill the computer and it's going to take 10 minutes. And um, but by the time it's done, there needs to be no electricity left in that computer. Nothing, nothing, nothing must be working. Um, and so in a similar way, it's called down-regulation. And so in blocking these receptors, um, the thinking that's occurring um, is very much uh, in uh, the, the behavioral changes in thinking. Um, you can see in um, people want to go and find this for themselves on YouTube. They can look at nerve gas experiments uh, that affect uh, the, uh, the, uh, the nervous system. And you can have a look at what we call, let's say, brain fog now or confusion. Or um, There's a profile that uh, is very similar to early, um, um, uh, to early Alzheimer's where um, the sentimentality, uh, the memories that are sentimental uh, are declining. Um, Venom will do this, and Venom does this um, in, in, a, in a way um, as part of its functional tool. Um, it may seem that it's slightly altruistic, but ultimately it's all towards the predator. And if there's less struggle uh, from the prey, 
um, then the venom achieves its goal, uh, which is ultimately to get this prey to decompose itself. And so the mass psychosis, um, I think, has been brilliantly. You're saying it makes them more compliant? Level. Yes, but uh, yeah, you're the saying that this makes them more compliant and less questioning. Uh, the, the addiction to, to the substance itself for a lot of people. Um, the uh, euphoria that can be created uh, not only from the setup of going to get a vaccine and, you know, your sort of early adopters and the nervousness around it and waiting in line and sort of all the stuff that, you know, Vegas knows how to do or a nightclub, you know, run, run a line outside and then get somebody hyped up. And um, all of that was at play. But you've also got some really strong chemical components. And you use the word brilliantly in terms of compliance, uh, um, they fit into a category of, uh, of, of biowarfare, um, which is, uh, or biochemicals, which is um, um, not only compliance, but they also call them in- incapacitators. And so um, when, let's say, when you've got soldiers out in the field somewhere, if you can drop uh, a, a, a odorless uh, substance, uh, a tasteless odorless substance as a gas, and that can uh, incapacitate um, a soldier and stop them doing their duties. Um, this was obviously a huge advantage, um, and the experiments. So that how do you done, know that uh, there's venom? In, how do you know there's venom in some of these vaccines? Um, well, they all have it because the spike protein itself, the genomic sequence, uh, was given out, and that was a computer uh, model of what this thing was, and that all the research and all the evidence, um, uh, you know, so, uh, from that starting point, um, uh, you know, the, the idea of um, this is what the spike protein is, has then been validated in numerous forms, not only um, with other people analyzing it and going, oh, yes, I also found this part of this insert, or I found this, uh, you know, these chains of cysteine, uh, you know, amino acids, but also um, what's more important to a guy like me, I tend to be much more practical. If someone said, oh, we have a computer rendering a model, here's the genomic sequence, I'd be the first skeptic to say, well, I mean, how do we know that that's what it is? So I like the, I like the idea, um, you know, uh, uh, being able to see, you know, how does that interact um, when you do experiments? Like, for example, if you took the spike protein without the virus and, and you put that in a, uh, um, you know, in some form of culture, what would that be doing in that test tube? And um, I'm not a big fan of, of um, animal experiments, but one um, experiment that did catch my attention was taking these spike proteins and putting them into um, uh, a medium where they basically expose tadpoles. Uh, to the spike proteins and the expression of all the enzymes and the reaction from the tadpoles matched what you would expect to see from the genetic sequence. It didn't leave you wondering whether, you know, why, why if they say that this is what it is or why if the genomic sequence is, um, you know, is being um, purified in this way, if they're saying, you know, um, it should be um, binding to the nicotinic receptors, well, then can you prove that? And the answer is yes. And so um, that is um, that's one way of, of knowing um, that it's in the vaccine, because the um, instructions given to all the vaccine makers um, was, OK, this time round, what we're going to do is all of you aren't allowed to do your own versions of what you think you would do for a coronavirus vaccine. Um, under uh, instructions from um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Garvey, um, and various other stakeholders, the instruction was you don't get to build what you think 
uh, is the way you'd have to partner with We only have two minutes uh, left, or two or three minutes left. So what other important points do you want to hit on very briefly that you want to get out to the audience? Well, I think the thing that I always like to say to people, especially at the end, is you'd listen to the scariest part about this. And then, uh, you know, if I was only, you know, interested in creating suspense and a thriller, then I'd leave it at this uh, without solution. But I think that you, you said it best in your introduction, which is, you know, there are various models of what what we could look at in terms of functioning on this planet. And so you have a sickness-based model, which you can see the perfectly represented by um, traditional medicine right now, pharmaceuticals and scientists around the world in a sickness-based model uh, where the solution also becomes the problem to sell another solution. And then you also have a health-based model, uh, which is slightly better, and you're looking at, um, at, at sort of taking a disease and then what can you do in the least toxic way and what um, behavioral changes. And, oh, you've got, you're currently your, your high blood pressure. You know, we could put you on medication, but you could try and lose some weight and do some exercise and we could see what would happen. I'd call that a health-based model. But even better than that, I think a wellness-based model is a truly integrative model looks at the full system and says, how do we bring balance and harmony? And, um, and the simplicity of all of this is that we are, um, you know, we don't live alone. We, we are a, a full uh, walking version of, of having uh, full, uh, you know, many, many other life forms with us of bacteria and fungi and pathogens and parasites. And, and so a wellness model really also needs to look at how do you balance that out and, um, and how do you keep that in check. The most important things are already, uh, are already highlighted. And so all I have to do is remind people especially in a health uh, and wellness-based community, you had the solutions before the pandemic, and you were um, a lot of people uh, got so scared that they rejected what they knew, and I wish that there were some stronger leaders that had come out right at the beginning and said, we've got this, hold the line. You know, this is the same nonsense that we've seen time and time again, and, and, and look how far we got in this wellness-based model. Don't, don't change a thing. In fact, Let's make sure that we understand how the immune system works against things like venoms and poisons and bioweapons. Uh, so, for example, vitamin A is crucial for the parathyroid to beat venom. Um, we need to look at creatures and animals to learn from. The possum uh, uses, the, uh, uses vitamin A and the parathyroid. And so we can, we can take our research uh, from uh, the tools that are already in front of us, the full, the full botanicals, um, uh, or at our disposal, um, a, a full model. Um, but I think that what I would say in this last minute over here is that the crucial aspect is to recognize the problem at hand. So the distraction was talking about this, you know, highly contagious virus that replicates, and they threw all these medication strategies at it that made absolutely no sense. And the, 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 the death toll has been driven up uh, by, uh, by people basically not seeing this as a poisoning. And the words poisoning, envenomation, um, and, and dealing with um, high levels of neurotoxins is really the key to understanding uh, um, long-haul COVID especially, and also making sure that if they attempt this again, uh, by the way, Omicron is not uh, SARS-CoV-2, and it doesn't have this profile to it. Um, you know, I think what they throw us at, in the future um, will, will more than likely be in this category um, of a poisoning. 
And um, okay, well, and we, we are at an end right this. now. So uh, what I hear you advocating is what we always advocate on this program is to be proactive in our health and wellness, move toward optimal health, build up our immunity, have good lifestyle techniques. And there are certain things I, I think there are people researching what to do for the COVID virus, as well as the, the the situation you were describing, there are certain things we can do to build up our immunity because our body is built that we can tolerate assaults, attacks, toxins, as long as you don't get too much. Absolutely. So we have to encourage the healing process of the body and moving us toward wellness, regardless of what's thrown at us. And boy, you certainly mentioned some things being thrown at us. So I want to thank you. So to the listeners, uh, be proactive. Look up what you can do to improve your health. Always check with your physician. And above all, be well and stay well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. We